We live in a world of distractions. They're, they're everywhere. It's just the kind of place that we live. It's like, it's like we live with this barrage, this never-ending barrage of sights and sounds that are coming our way. It's like there's this wall of noise and all of it is vying for our attention. All of it is hoping to catch our eye. All of it is wanting to bend our ear. All of it is wanting to grab our hearts, our minds, and our souls. Distractions, they are literally everywhere. We're told what to buy, what to wear, what to go get in life, what to what to watch, what to listen to. I mean, you think about the fashion industry. We're, we're told that if you look a certain way, if you adapt a certain image, that you will have arrived in life. That, that if you buy into what they're trying to sell you, then then and only then are you hip, are you part of the crowd, right? I mean, you think about the music industry, it's ever-changing. It's a constant battle for what's next. As a matter of fact, uh, it's trying to create culture. It is the culture. Last month, it was Taylor Swift. Last week, it was it was Justin Bieber. Uh, this week, it's Adele. Next week, it's Kendrick Lamar. And who knows what's after that? It's always changing. And if you're not listening, if you're not hearing the noise of culture, if you're not keeping up, then you're out. You're completely irrelevant. You think about Hollywood. They tell us that there's 10 movies a month that we have to see. And if we miss these movies and suddenly we're not cool, we're not keeping up, we are completely out of step with the world around us. Uh, even the news. The news is this wall of noise, this wall of information that just keeps dumping and dumping and dumping into your heart, into your mind. You're, you're told that uh, this is what's happening in the world. This is what you're missing in the world. And if you miss it, even for a moment, you are out of step with the world. You're not even part of what's going on in the world. It's just this distracted life that we live. There's this never-ending wall of distraction coming our way. It's so loud, it's deafening. It's so loud, it's almost blinding. It's so loud that it's clogging the soul. You ever feel this way? Ever feel like there is just so much coming at you that you don't know which way to go, which way to turn? Ever feel like there are so many voices, so many distractions, so many opinions that you just don't even know who to listen to or what to listen to or even if you want to listen at all anymore? And I think this affects our relationship with God in a very, very big way. I think sometimes we are so distracted that we can't hear his voice. There are so many noises coming at us, so many things vying for our heart that, that we can't hear God anymore. We can't hear his voice. We can't hear his leadership. We can't hear his hope and direction for our life. What voice are you listening to? What are you listening to? It's important who you're listening to. Okay, that was my skin ripping. It absolutely does. The senior national correspondent Scott locked himself in the trunk of his car. We do video. I heard this really cool story. It's a very simple story. It's a very plain story. But I, but I don't think we can miss the meaning behind it. I think it's so important. I think we need to hear it because it has a really heavy meaning behind it. Uh, it's a story about a guy, a Native American, who grew up on uh, some sort of reservation out west. It was a very pristine area, very open area, mountain ranges, open desert kind of space. And, and it was just a different world where this guy grew up, and he had never been to the big city. Of course, he had seen the big city, of course, on television and movies and those sorts of things, but he had never actually been there for himself until a friend of his moves away and goes to New York, the biggest city in America, right? And eventually he 
decides that he's going to go visit his friend in New York. And so he jumps on a plane and, and uh, travels across the country from the West to New York and lands in LaGuardia Airport. And, and his friend meets him there. And when he lands, he's just he's just mesmerized at how big it all is and how loud it all is and how crazy it all is. And, and of course, their first destination is downtown New York. And so... Uh, here they are, they're walking the city streets, and it's just crazy loud, it's crazy busy, people everywhere, signs everywhere, I don't know if you've ever seen Times Square, but there's advertising coming at you like crazy, 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 there's noise and there's distraction everywhere, and, and these two fellows, these two friends are walking down the street when, when this Native American says, did you hear that? And his buddy from New York says, are you crazy? Did you hear that? It's New York. Everybody's yelling. Everybody's loud. It's a crazy place. What do you mean, did I hear what? He goes, did you hear that? That little right there. And his friends go, I don't know what you're talking about. But, but, it, but he goes, follow me, follow me. And they cross the street, and they go over to one of those tree planter type of things. And, and he's listening, and, he look, and eventually he kind of grabs onto like some bush, and he, and he lifts up this, this foliage. And underneath of this foliage is, is a little tiny cricket chirping away, just doing what crickets do. They're just making this subtle chirping noise. He says, do you hear it now? He goes, yeah, but how did you hear it from way across the street? How did you hear it with all of this craziness, with all of this noise? And this Native American fellow, he says, I guess it depends on what you're listening for. I guess it depends on what you're listening to. And I think he's right because all of us are listening for something. And a lot of people say that you can't hear the voice of God in your life anymore. A lot of people say that you can't hear God speaking to you. I just don't think that's true. I think you hear what you want to hear. I think you hear what you are listening for. Well, it's interesting, this Native American fellow, he, he, uh, he's standing there with his friend. And he says, now watch this. Here's what I mean. And he grabs this hand of quarters. And he, and he, and he does something kind of crazy. He literally throws them up into the air and lets him land on the sidewalk. And all of these New Yorkers, all of these pedestrians who are walking by, it's like they stopped in their tracks. It's like they all knew that they had dropped something. They all knew that it was money that hit the ground. And this Native American guy says, see, it all depends what you're listening for. I read this story in Time magazine. It was about a man who was hearing voices in his head. True story, he went to a psychiatrist and complained about hearing radio broadcast inside of his head. And so the psychiatrist decided to kind of humor him a little bit and said, well, what are you hearing right this moment? And this man says to the psychiatrist very specifically, he gets into great detail and says, right at this very moment, I'm listening to a Rudy Valley song being aired out of the legendary Steel Pier Studios inside of Atlantic City. And the guy was like, what? Really? And he goes on to great detail and talks about the announcer and what he's saying and all of this stuff and incredible detail. And, and the psychiatrist was a little shocked by this, but upon more details being learned about, uh, upon probing this man for, uh, for, for answers, he learned that this man worked in a bottle glass factory, a glass bottle factory making glass. And, and essentially, the man got silica stuck inside of his dental cavities, and in combination with his saliva, in combination with the silica, in, in combination with the energy inside of his body, and the fact that he had some metal bridge work done to his teeth, his head became 
a literal radio transmitter, receiver. Pretty incredible, right? And so this psychiatrist says, you don't need a psychiatrist, you need a dentist. And literally, he sends him to the dentist, the guy gets his cavities uh, redone, and he gets the bridge work redone, and cleans it all up, and it was like this man literally goes off the air, returns back to a normal life. The voices in his head stop. Now, let me tell you something. We live in this world of distraction. We live with this never-ending barrage of noise, this never-ending barrage of voices that are trying to speak into, into our lives. Well, let me tell you something. For those of us in this very room who, who've come into a relationship with God through his son Jesus, who have invited the Holy Spirit to take up residence inside of your soul, let me tell you something that may shock you. The scripture says about you and about me that you can hear the voice of God in your life, that you can tune into the frequency of God in your life. Now, the problem is, is that when you hear something like that, you go, that's a little bit weird. Like, I'm not sure I want to be in this church because whenever people start talking about hearing the voice of God, I think they're nut jobs. And you know what? For the most part, I think you're, you're right. I think the same thing. And most of us in this room, whenever somebody says that they are hearing from God, we just kind of assume that they are a little bit Nutty, don't you agree? That's just kind of how it goes here. You see, because we often think of the guy on the television set who says, I'm hearing from the voice of God, and then it follows with something like this. And, and God is telling me that if you send me $1,000, your daughter's gonna be cured of cancer, right? If you send me this, this is what's gonna happen to you. If you, some, God is speaking to me, and if you send me something to line my pockets, God is going to somehow deliver you a favor courtesy of me. And you and I hear that, and you know what we do? We go, yeah, right. It's a big, fat lie. But friends, let me tell you something. God does still speak. He speaks. It may not be like that, but he still speaks. And the problem is, is I believe he speaks, but the problem is I haven't heard him speak to me like that. And, and, and truthfully, he hasn't spoke like that to many of my friends. God seems to be quiet in our lives far too often. God doesn't seem to speak that way much anymore. I remember when I was a kid, I, was, uh, I went to this kind of maybe 10th or 11th grade, I went to this holy roller type of church. Now, I'm not trying to knock them or anything like that. That's just the type of church it was. It was a holy rolling type of church. And I remember sitting in the very back. I wasn't there so much for God. I was there for the girls, to be honest, for the chicks, right? And I was sitting as far back as I could sit. Me and my buddies were in the back row. And it was a tiny little church. And uh, this man, who I did not know, true story, came off this, this stage, this podium area, and he walks through this little tiny crowd, and he stands directly in front of me. And he starts telling this crowd that he has heard God speak to him about me. And he begins to speak into my life and he began to say things like, you know, like uh, people are going to literally send you millions of dollars. And I'm still waiting for that to happen, hint, hint, right? No, he didn't say that at all. That's just a joke part. But it is true. This guy comes down and he stands in front of me and he begins to speak in all kinds of ways that I couldn't quite understand. I didn't really know what was going on. And to be honest, I thought he was just kind of weird and freaky. Uh, and it kind of scared me, the whole thing. But, but thinking back to this story now, maybe, just maybe, 
I didn't quite get it done because maybe I wasn't willing to hear. Maybe I wasn't ready to hear. Maybe my spirit hadn't caught up to me yet. Maybe, I don't know. But maybe God was trying to use this man. A man who I've never met. Never saw before. Maybe God was trying to use him to communicate something to me. That is possible, is it not? Because when you read the pages of scripture, that's the kind of stuff that you see. That God speaks to those who are willing to hear. That God speaks into the life who is responsive to his spirit. But the problem is is that you and I are so used to thinking this is crazy. That we're we're used to dismissing it. And we, we, we say that God doesn't speak like this anymore. But friends, what if we are missing something? What if God does still speak to us? What if the clutter, the noise, the barrage of sound coming your way, what if it is silencing the voice of God who is trying to cut through to your heart? Is it possible that we're missing him? Is it? Think about this for a moment. Think, think about this. Like, let's say you have a friend and uh, you go to your friend's house kind of unannounced and, and you think that he's home but you're really not sure but you think that he is and, and you knock on the door and he does not answer the door but you really think he's home and so you kind of, if you're like me, you kind of poke around back and you look and you kind of are looking for him. You're calling out to him but you see him in his backyard and he lives in this kind of wooded yard. It's kind of a beautiful, serene type of a yard and, and, and he's, he's, you see your friend, he's kind of in the middle of this like tree wooded sort of an area and he's actually like down on his knees. And as you approach him, now just imagine this in your mind, as you approach him, imagine that you are, you're starting to figure out that he is crying out to God, that he's, that he's praying, that he's calling out to God. There's something really deep, there's something really heavy, there's something really broken in his heart, and he is like literally leaning into God, he's praying. Now most of us in this room, most of us, we would go, we are entering a sacred moment. Wouldn't we feel this way that we're like stepping into something that's holy? That we would feel, we would feel that we're interrupting a God moment, would we not? And we would kind of sit back and, and honestly, our opinion of this person would probably go up. Uh, the opinion of this person would probably be elevated and we would think, like, I wish I had that kind of faith. I wish I had that kind of discipline. I wish I had that kind of cry out to God. Most of us in our, this room would feel this, but let's say we change the scenario a little bit. Let's say you go to the same friend's house, you knock on the same door, you think he's home, but you're not really sure, and you sneak around back, you're looking for him, you see him, he's in the yard, he's kneeling down, and, and as you approach, you can tell he is talking to God. He, he's praying, he's crying out to God, he's leaning into God, and you're listening to this, you feel at this moment the same holy sense. You feel like you're entering the sacred, you're almost violating the sacred. Same thing, same everything, same deal, right? But then, what if you heard him go, mm-hmm, okay, I got you loud and clear, thanks God. Yeah, I got it. No, 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 you don't have to tell me again. It's all good. No, I, I hear you loud and clear, everything's fine. I'm on it, I'll get it done. No problems. Don't worry about it. You don't have to say it again. I got it. Totally different scenario. Now you think this guy's weird. Now, Now you think this guy's a crackpot. Now you're ready to call the loony farm, right? Because we somehow think it is normal that you go a lifetime and you carry on a one way conversation with somebody. How would you like to be married and have a, some of y'all think this anyways, but you're, you're having this one-way conversation your whole life. What kind of relationship would that be? But we think it's weird. 
that somebody has a two-way conversation with God. Do we have that backwards, maybe? What is weirder? A whole bunch of us getting down on our knees night after night, begging God, hoping for God, crying out to God, but never once hearing his voice? What's weirder, the person who spends his whole life in a one-way conversation or the person who has a two-way conversation? Come on. God wants to speak into our lives. God wants to talk to us. God wants to, to somehow cut through this world of distractions. So friends, listen, if somehow, if you and me, if we are gonna fight the distractions that rob us of our faith, that want to steal from our soul, if we're going to fight the distractions that keep us from becoming all that God wants us to become, then friends, we are going to have to learn to tune in to the frequency of God. We're going to have to learn to hear his voice, not just talk to him or at him. But friends, we have got to learn to hear from him, to hear his voice and be led by him. And so what I'd like to do, if it's okay with you, I want to take you deep, deep into the account of of a book book called 1 Samuel. It it describes the life of this man named Samuel, this boy who becomes a great prophet of God. And and so if you've got a Bible or a smartphone, I would invite you to turn to the book of 1 Samuel. And we're going to spend some time in in the first three chapters. We're going to spend a little time in the first three chapters this evening. Uh, So as you find that, let me give you a little background about what's going on here. Samuel's story, and really the whole uh, book of 1 Samuel, is more than just about this young boy who becomes a great man. It's more than a life of, of Samuel, a description of the life of Samuel. It involves the, the description of his mother and how Samuel came to be and, and how his whole life got started. It also includes the story of a man named Eli. And he was, a prophet, he was a priest from God. He was the high priest over all the lands of Israel. And it includes the story of his two sons. And, and so let me just kind of catch you up a little bit here. Hannah, his mother, really the book opens with Hannah being in great distress. Um, she had a longing that was deep in her soul. She wanted to be a mother, but she was barren. Um, she couldn't conceive a child. And she longed for this. Her and her husband longed for this. Um, But God seemed to be silent. So she would go and she would cry out to God. She would go and she would cry out to God. She would go and she would cry out to God over and over and over. And we talk a lot about this around here, don't we, church? Where, Where we talk about how there are things in each and every life here that are so broken and so deep and so personal that we feel we can go to nobody else but God. There are certain things in all of our lives that the only place we can turn is to our Heavenly Father. And so most of us in this room, we cry out to God at different points in our life because we feel that only God can hear us. And this was, this was Hannah's story. And friends, I've shared my story many times in our church, how this describes me and Lynette because we had many years of our life where we could not have children. But God chose to bless us um, by, through adoption for two of our four children. We adopted two of our four children. But I tell you what, listen, when you are in a dark time in your life, and I remember these years for me and Lynette, when you are in this dark tunnel, it seems like God is a million miles away. And it seems like nobody understands and nobody cares. And the only one you can cry out to is God himself. 
And maybe you've been there. Well, this is Hannah's story. And she's crying out to God, but God chooses to come to her rescue. God chooses to enter into her life by giving her a son. And the son is named Samuel. And when she receives Samuel um, as her answer to prayer, she is so overjoyed. Um, she, has, she literally turns to God. She praises God. And, and in incredible ways, um, she just says, God, I offer this child to you. Now, some of you have been around our church long enough to, to know that we do this thing called child dedication. When we have children, uh, many of us have stood on this stage and we have publicly proclaimed that we dedicate our children to God. But you take those children home. Well, in this case, uh, it's very interesting. This wasn't always the case. This was common in ancient days, where sometimes um, it is a way of honoring God for his great gift. You would dedicate your child to service for the Lord. You, you would literally offer him to, to be someone who would serve in the order of the priesthood, that, you would, that he would serve at the church, at the temple, for his whole life. And so this story is very unique because Hannah receives this incredible blessing from God, and then the scripture says she weans this child and gets him started in life, but about the age of four or five, she literally gives him to the temple to serve for a period of his life as a way of saying thank you to God. And, and so for many of us, it'd be like thinking like he, they, they were sending him off to like boarding school to be raised like at this, like this very religious boarding school. That's how you could think of this. But it was very common that people would do this. They would drop off their kids to the church. A little side note, a little side note. Do not try this here. I don't want your kids. I have four, more than enough. Y'all with me on this? Um, but this was uh, how we're introduced to Samuel. Uh, he's a young man. He's growing in his relationship with God. Um, and, and we see that God's blessing is on him. Now, very interesting. Um, we're introduced now to Eli and to his two sons, um, Hophni and, and Phinehas. Uh, and we're going to learn something about these two boys. They were the sons of the priest, but they were exceedingly wicked. They, they were evil. And what's interesting is how this is recorded. So take a look at this. Chapter 2, verse 12. It says this. This is kind of the introduction to the sons of Eli. It says this. Eli's sons were what? What were they? They were wicked men. And they had no regard for God. No regard for the Lord. And this book goes on to tell of their life story. And it does something very interesting. It compares them to this young man named Samuel. And what's interesting, if you were to walk through this text, the writer does a very artful uh, writing of literature here. This is, we can easily miss this, but there's, a, there's an ancient approach to literature that this writer utilizes. He, uh, he goes from one storyline to the other storyline, and he compares the sons of Eli to this boy named Samuel. He, he compares the wickedness of Eli's boys to the righteousness of of Samuel. He, he compares, he goes back and forth, he speaks a little bit about these, these two young rebellious, rebellious men who turned their hearts far from God. And then he goes back and he talks about how Samuel had this humble heart before God. And friends, I don't think this is a mistake by the writer. I think the writer is trying to, to cue you and me into something here. He's trying to let us know that there are different results for different kinds of life. He's trying to tell us that you have a choice in the way that you are going to live your life before God. 
One will end with the blessings of God. And one will end in disaster. And you've got to be careful which way you're going to choose. And so we, we get introduced to Eli's sons and we, we learn very quickly that they are some of the most unattractive figures in the entire Old Testament part of the Bible. Um, for example, people would come, the text tells us that people would come to the temple and they would come bearing an offering to God. Like they planned to give a gift to God for his kingdom work, right, on earth. But these these men, these sons of Eli, these priests under the high priest Eli, they were priests under their father's priesthood. And, and they would often meet people outside of the temple and they would literally rough them over and take their offerings. They would demand money from them. They would demand goods from them. They would demand part of the gift for God so that it could be used for their own goods, for their own services, and for their own evil ways. Incredible little story. Now, I want you to think about this, what this means, what this means. These men were evil. Could you imagine coming into our little church right now? And you've thought about this before you come, and I do hope you think about this before you come, about what you are going to give to God to partner with him on earth. I hope that you thought about this. But could you imagine walking into this place, you park in the parking lot, and then before you even round the corner of the building, heading toward the doors, a couple of our usher-type people were to meet you outside. And they begin to give you the once-over a little bit, and then they begin to rough you up a little bit, and they demand your gift that you are going to give to God. Now, can you imagine how wicked this would be? Because these men who are supposed to be doing the work of God were literally using their spiritual authority and their physical political rule to take from the very people that they were supposed to serve. An evil, abominable thing. Now, I thought about this, you know, as a little way of increasing our giving here at our church, by the way. But then I thought about some of the guys who take our offering and they're just too wimpy for that, so. <laughs> that was a joke. Forget it. Man, you guys are tough. The five o'clock people laughed. Listen to what we learn. That Eli knows about this. This father, this priest over the people of God, he knows about the evil that his own sons are doing. What happens? Verse 22, chapter two, it says, now Eli was very old, but, but he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. This is widespread news, right? Everybody knows about this. Eli himself knows about it. Uh, but not only do we know that they're ripping people off in the name of God, but they're doing something far worse than this. Listen, he knew, for instance, this is what he knows. He knows, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who would come to assist at the entrance of the tabernacle. Do you see what's going on here? These men were using their spiritual authority for sexual favors. They were literally bringing in what was abhorred by God on the outside in the temples of pagans. They were bringing it into the very tabernacle of God. They were turning the house of God, instead of it being a place of worship, they were turning it into a place of seduction, a temple of prostitution before God. It was evil. It was abhorrible. You see what's going on, right? Now, here's what's really tragic about this whole deal. It's not just what these sons were doing, not what these boys were doing. It's how the father reacted to the whole thing. It's what Eli did or did not do that's really, really tragic in this whole, whole mix. Here's what happens. Eli hears about this, he sees what's going on, and it finally rises to the attention where he has to do something about it. And you know what he does? Basically, nothing. 
This is the whole extent of what he does. He gets his boys together, he sits them down over coffee, and he says this. You boys, my sons, you must stop. 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 He says, you guys are going to stop. The reports I hear among the Lord's people about you are not good. He says, I got your report card. It's not good. Knock it off. He doesn't remove them from office. He doesn't take their political power away. He doesn't take their authority away. He doesn't take their spiritual influence away. He just says, be good. I don't know what he was expecting. Maybe he was expecting that his sons would get to him and go, oh, you're right, Dad. I'm sorry. We've been raping women in the temple. We're going to stop that because you asked. Yeah. What was this guy thinking? He does nothing to change the situation. I want to say something about parenting here because this, this chapter, you can't, you can't walk over this. For those of you who have sons and daughters, grandsons and granddaughters, I think Eli, his problem was, uh, was not so much that he, he was naive. His problem was not so much that he uh, didn't understand the full depth of their depravity. I think his problem was that he simply did not care enough. He simply wasn't up for the challenge of parenting. He simply thought it was too hard. Because some of us, as you well know, when our kids get older, they actually start to think for themselves. You realize this, right? But it doesn't mean that your job as a parent's over. As a parent's over, no, 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 no. We are called of God to continually to lead our children, to pull them in the direction that they should go, our children and grandchildren. You understand this, right? And it is a battle of the will sometimes. And so many of us as parents are like Eli. We've checked out of the game. We think it's too tough, it's too rough, and if we stand up, if we continue to lead our children, if we insert our will into their lives a little bit, our influence into their life a little bit, here's what we think. We think that our children aren't gonna like us anymore. That's exactly what was going on with Eli. He knew if he stood his ground, his children would hate him. And some anonymous man of God ends up approaching Eli and he calls him out on this. This is very interesting to me. He says this to Eli, this high priest. He says, why do you give your sons more honor than you give me? He's speaking for God. He says, why would you give your sons more honor than you give God? He says, why aren't you a priest in your own home? Why aren't you being a father in your own home? And you think, oh, it's because that you love your sons? He says, no, 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 no. It's because you don't love God enough. Because when you love, you speak truth. When you love, you fight for your children. When you love your children, you go to battle for them every single day. When you love your children, you care about their character. You're involved in their character. You develop their life. You continue to pray for them and to lead them and to call them to truth. You love your children. You engage your children. And Eli was ready to check out. He had checked out long, long ago. And let me tell you something. Because of this, Eli's sons come under the judgment of God because he wouldn't show up as a father. His sons come under the judgment of God. 
And the scripture records how not only his sons, but Eli himself, their lives were all ended early. God took their lives. And there is a shift now in the teaching of this book, in the leadership of this book. God removes a religious priest and his family, but he raises up a prophet. He says, your religion doesn't matter. The system doesn't matter. The man matters. And I'm going to make sure the right man leads our people, my people. And so we see a shift in this book from priest to a prophet named Samuel. And so, are y'all good with that? All right, enough said there. Turn to chapter three if you got a Bible. You're going to need to see this. Because God calls Samuel here. God does something extraordinary in Samuel's life. It's amazing. Uh, Verse one, it says this. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, listen very closely. It says, now in those days, the messages from the Lord were very what? Rare. And visions were quite uncommon. Right? The scripture declares that the voice of God had become silent among the people. But it doesn't mean that people weren't crying out to God. I'm guessing that there were a whole bunch of others like Hannah who showed up at the temple every single day and cried out to God. Just like you and me. We cry out to God all the time. But we think God doesn't speak to us. Well, in this case, it's the same thing that was going on in that day as it is in our day. That a whole bunch of people like us were crying out to God, but God didn't seem to be talking back to them very often. It was like his spirit had fallen silent on a generation. Now listen to me, friends. This is a very important passage about this whole subject of hearing the voice of God. This is a very, very important passage about listening for God's voice and being led by his spirit. I'm going to tell you something, friends. This passage teaches us that God longs to speak to you. He is not the problem. Distraction is the problem. Too many voices, too many noises, too much sound is the problem. Samuel grows up and he's living under Eli's rule and God is taking care of this little boy and then something extraordinary happens at the beginning of chapter three. Samuel goes to bed one night. He's asleep, he's lying there, he's asleep, he's quiet in his soul. And he hears a voice. Samuel. Samuel. Now this wasn't uncommon for Samuel. It said that he served Eli. And Eli's getting old and so he's used to getting up five times during the night. What do you want, Eli? What do you want? And so he hears this voice, Samuel. Samuel. And so this young kid, he gets up and he runs down the hallway, knocks on the door and says, yes, Eli, what can I do to serve you? And this cranky old man says, I didn't call you, go back to bed. I don't know what you're listening for. I don't know what you're hearing, but I didn't call you, go back to bed. And Eli's, I thought I heard him call me. And so he goes back and the scripture says he quiets himself again. And he falls asleep. He's laying there. A little while longer, he hears this voice again. Samuel, Samuel. He jumps up, runs down the hall thinking Eli needs something. 
He has served Eli so faithfully. He runs down the hall, knocks on the door, Eli, Eli, what can I do for you, my master? And Eli says, I did not call you. Go back to bed. You're bothering me, kid. Get out of here. And so Eli says he goes back. Now, have you ever been interrupted by your kids in the middle of the night? Come on. Oh my goodness, it seems like my house is like a merry-go-round half the time. I'm not kidding, man. Especially when my kids were younger. It's like one couldn't sleep, and so you're like so tired. You know, you know how it is. Like you are so tired, you cannot get them to go back to bed. And so you're like, just come in, right? And you just like make room. And so they're there. And then like 20 minutes later, the kid who's crying comes in, but there's no room for the girl that's crying. And so you're like, you got to now get up and you take the kid who is asleep now in your bed. You take him back to bed and let the little one who's crying come into your bed. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And then Lynette was pregnant half the time. And she was up like 30 times a night, right? And it's like a merry-go-round, right? And this is what it was for Eli. And here's what the scripture says is different this time. Listen very closely. This happens a third time. Samuel did not know yet the Lord because he had never heard a message from the Lord before. Now, we just need to pause on this for a second because this is really interesting to me. Maybe God has been trying to speak to you for a real long time and you're going, I don't hear God. I don't know what you're talking about. You're crazy up there. No, no. Maybe you have never heard God because you're not very good at listening to him. Maybe you've never heard him before. And maybe you and I, in this very room, we need to purposely, in our heart, decide to listen for him. Maybe we need to get good at listening to the voice of God. Do you hear me, friends? Maybe we need to get good at this. So look what happens next, verse eight. So Samuel's in bed, and for the third time, once more Samuel got up and went to Eli and says, here I am. Did you call me? So this is the third time he hears, Samuel, Samuel. Runs down the hall, knock, knock, knock. Did you call me? No, I did not call call you, but listen to this. Eli is old at this time, and his sight is failing at this time. But he's not deaf, and he's not dumb. And so he says to Eli something different. Remember it says that the word of the Lord had grown rare at this time. But God still spoke. Even in our world, it seems so rare to hear the voice of God. God still speaks. Even when our world seems so evil and distant from God, God is still calling to our generation, amen? He is still calling. And so Eli, this is how he responds. He says, then Eli, then it records, then Eli realized that it was the Lord who was calling the boy. And so he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say this time, listen, say this time, speak, O Lord. Your servant is listening And so Samuel went back to bed. In other words, is it possible, friends, that that God can speak to somebody and that person not ever realize it? Is it possible that God has been speaking to you for a really long time and you have just been so noisy, so cluttered in your soul that you cannot possibly hear him? Maybe you're filling and filling and filling with all sorts of things and God is just saying, would you hold up a second? I've been trying to get your attention. It's possible, friends, I think so. Learning to discern the voice of God is an acquired skill. It's a learned behavior. It took Samuel to be quiet. It took Samuel to lie down. It took Samuel to be silent long enough for God's voice to cut through the clutter of his life. It took Samuel purposely saying, speak, oh God. Purposely saying, speak, oh God. Your servant, your child wants to hear from you is listening. 
Please speak, God. Friends, it takes a purposeful soul to hear the voice of God. But what do we do? We say, we go like this. We go, oh yeah, God, I'm all for it. God, I want you to speak into my life. God, I want you to, I want you to talk to me. I want you to lead me. I want to hear from you. I'm tired of not hearing from you. I'm, I'm tired of living distant from you. And so God, speak, speak. Why can't I hear you? Pop in a CD. Speak, oh God, speak, oh God. One CD is not enough. We get a five changer. We get a five changer. We need four hours of continuous music to hear God. Speak, oh God, why don't you talk to me? So we trade in the five changer for an iPod. And iPods were sweet. I never got one, but iPods are sweet because now you can have not five hours of continuous music, but you can have a thousand hours of continual noise coming at you. Glory to God. Speak to me, God. I want to hear from you. I'm tired of being alone. I'm tired of not hearing your voice. Other people seem to hear it. I don't hear it. And then we trade in our iPod for a smartphone because music's gone video, right? And now we can go to the gym and we can watch like an entire movie while you're working out. It's an amazing thing. And then our smartphones are so smart, they have not just one email account. Speak to me, God, but we got two email accounts. We got a fax machine on there. We can scan on there. We can, we can tweet. We can we can, what do we, Facebook and, and the really cool people, the really cool people, you got a Pinterest on your phone. And we can do it all at the same time. Speak to me, God, I'm tired of not hearing from you. We got DVD players in our car. It used to be sometimes we'd get in our car and we would drive just to get alone so we could hear. So we could hear. Not anymore. Speak to me, God. But we are doing everything we can to clutter up the space of our soul. And we can't hear him. We can't hear him. Friends, listen, we ought to learn the art of quiet so that we can learn the art of listening, so that we can learn the art of loving God, so that we can learn the art of following, so that we can learn the art of pleasing God. Amen? I just want to read that to you again. Because maybe you need to hear this. We need to learn the art of being quiet so that we can learn the art of listening, so that we can learn the art of loving God, so that we can learn the art of following God, so that we can learn the art of pleasing God with our lives. Maybe we just need to be quiet for a little while and learn to dial in the frequency of God in our life. Maybe right now in this very room, maybe there are some people with a Hannah-sized problem in your life. There is a Hannah-sized valley in your life. And you've been showing up, calling out to God. But he doesn't ever seem to be speaking to you. I think we need to learn the art of quiet so we can hear from him. So we can hear so I thought we would do something a little bit crazy awkward. I think maybe we could just get quiet right now for a couple minutes. And whatever God-sized valley you're, you're in right now, whatever, whatever deep hole that you seem to be fighting, um, maybe you would just give that to God and then try to listen to him. Just listen to him.
Eli never offered his heart fully to God. Young Samuel, he said, speak, oh God. I'm willing to hear your leadership for my life. And what's really amazing is verse 19 of the third chapter says something that we often wouldn't even think about. But it said that Eli let no, excuse me, Samuel let no word that came from God to fall to the ground. What does that mean? He made sure that every word that God spoke into his heart, that he gathered it close, he didn't let it just fall to the ground and get trampled under his feet. Eli was careful to obey God. Eli said, speak to me, God, and where you lead me, I will follow. What you say, I will do. The direction for, you, for, for my life that you give me is more than enough for me. No word that you speak to me will ever fall to the ground. I will never let it just pass through my hand as if it's, as if it's worthless. Here's my heart. In this very room, God is speaking and he's calling you to become something different, to be something different, to change something, to move something, to give something, to speak something, to forgive someone. See, I think one of the reasons God doesn't speak to us is because we don't treat his words carefully. I think one of the reasons God seems silent in our generation is because we look at it and we say, I think I know better. God gives us his word plainly. But we think we have a better way to live. Let no word from God fall to the ground. Father, in this place, um, God, we ask that your spirit would speak. God, that your voice would speak to us. God, teach us the art of quiet so we can learn the art of listening so that we can hear from you. And God, give us a passion for your word. Give us a passion for your presence. God, help us to seek after you. God, help us to never let what you, what you lead us to to fall to the ground. You have called many of us in this room to many different things, and we have done nothing with your call on our life. Forgive us, God. Forgive us. God, speak. God, don't be quiet in this generation. We want to hear from you, God. And help give us, God, would you just give us the passion and the strength to not let any word that you give us fall to the ground. God, help us to listen. Help us to be careful to obey, Lord. Here's my heart, God. Here's my life, God. 
Here's my mind, my soul, my actions, my reaction, my words, my money, my, my giftedness, my resources, my time. Here's my life, God. It belongs to you, God. Speak, oh God. Speak. For your child. Amen.